Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope that you enjoy this encouraging message. For more information on our church family, visit freechapel.org forward slash OC. If you've got a Bible, open your Bible to the book of Nehemiah. Um, it's sort of about halfway and then take a left a little bit. Does that help you? Not at all. Um, but we're going to look at something here. And uh, today's message, if you like, is going to be um, a little bit of an introduction. I'm going to introduce us to um, a story in the Bible and also a person in the Bible. And then across uh, next week, we'll continue with it. Um, a little bit more. You need to come back next week. I'm going to do a little illustrated um, message next week um, as we sort of continue this little conversation looking into this particular story. So I want you to open your Bible to Nehemiah so that when you go home throughout the week, you know where to turn to follow up and look at this story as you study it more in your small groups or in your own study time. But I'm sort of not really going to read any particular, I'll pull some sort of verses out, but there's a lot in this story, so I sort of just want to um, journey it through with you a little bit. Is that okay? Let's be honest, you don't have a choice, you're already here. Um, so, but what I want to do is I sort of want to start uh, from the end of the story and work my way back a little bit. If you're like me, um, whenever we were given an assignment in school to read a book, remember you had those assignments and you had to read a book, a novel, and you'd have to do a book report. The first thing I did was I went to the back, very last page of the book to find out what happens in the end. Um, because I knew deep down I was never, ever going to read the whole book. And I thought it's going to help me to have that little bullet in the gun. If I get asked by the teacher what happens at the end, I know the end of the story. And, and so what we're looking at in this, in this story of this man called Nehemiah, and we're focusing really just on the first six chapters of Nehemiah, is, and if you're familiar with it, you'll, you'll, you'll be able to track with me quickly. And if you're not, it's okay. Hopefully it'll make sense as we go along. But Nehemiah was a man that was responsible for rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a city where the people of God had previously lived and they'd been exiled from there. And they had experienced numbers of attacks across, across the years. And so their walls that would surround the city, that would protect the city, were broken down and just completely destroyed. And this was, this was very significant in, in ancient times because walls really represented something to the people of the city and to those that were coming against them. Walls, walls meant that if you had a strong wall around your city as a people, it, meant, it really meant that, that you were pretty strong and secure as a people. If you had a strong wall, we know the walls in the Bible, like the wall around Jericho, it's, it's a similar type of wall. It represents that there's some strength in these people. It speaks not just of their strength from a military standpoint, but also it speaks to almost, if you like, their strength and their identity as a people. It meant that if you had a, 
a strong, fortified, secure wall around your city. It meant you were... You weren't someone to be messed with. It meant, it, didn't, it meant that you were, you were not just a nobody. Because if your walls were still up, it meant that everybody at that time was always undergoing and, and facing attacks and battles. So if your walls are still in place, then that means you can hold yourself. You've, you can hold your ground. You've got some strength. And so in this story, we find that these walls surrounding Jerusalem are not so. They are broken and they are beat down and they are, the Bible says that the gates are burned and the stones are like rubble, the rocks that would normally be boulders that would hold this thing together. And now just like rubble, the place, it's a mess. And this man, Nehemiah, uh, toward the end of the story, he, he comes on the scene with his, with his men and they begin to sort of walk their way through the city across all of the debris and all of the rubble that is somewhat embarrassing for them as the people of God because this represented defeat. This represented to them the brokenness of past battles that they had lost. And they're walking around and they're looking at the rocks and the, and the debris and the burnt gates and the, the mayhem and the mess that was once this strong city that they could be proud of now is just rubble and debris on the ground. And these men under the leadership of Nehemiah, little bit by little bit, they begin to pick up these broken pieces. And they begin little bit by little bit, and it takes some time, but they begin to pick up the broken pieces and the rocks and the rubble and the debris. And I wanna, I'm sort of painting a picture for you, but I want you to see that as they first begin to meander their way through the mess, they're discouraged because the mess represents past battles that were lost. But then I want you to see as they begin to pick up the rocks and, and begin to pull pieces back together, their faith starts to build a little bit because they start to see the brokenness of past battles that were lost start to come together and reform as the walls start to become rebuilt. And little bit by little bit, their faith starts to build some more because they begin talking about now the goodness of God and how God has a plan. And they're reminded now that they serve a God who builds really good with broken pieces. And little bit by little bit, as they start to get some energy and they start to get excited because this thing's starting now to come together. They're starting to build some momentum, the brokenness of the past and the battles that they've lost, that normally there was so much shame and so much doubt and unbelief surrounded to those lost battles. Now they're seeing the brokenness of the past come together and rebuild their future. Now they're starting to see that maybe when we were getting beat down and we didn't know where God was, maybe His Word is true and He was with me all the way along and He's allowing those broken pieces now to get put back together to build something that will stand. They're, 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 they're starting to get this, this, this momentum, if you like, and it's starting to be like, bro, we, we're doing this. We're doing this. 
The enemy didn't beat us so bad, not as bad as what we thought, because look, the very thing that we thought was broken now we are building with. It's a good reminder for us that this is the God that we serve. That the things of our past, God will use to build something great for our future. That the very thing that you hate to even think about, the very thing that causes so much shame is actually the very thing that God's gonna use to lift and magnify His name through your life. And this is where we find these men. And so we're looking at this story and as we track with this story and as they, they sort of walk through the city and begin building, it's exciting because building something, it's exciting, isn't it? It's exciting. You guys started, we started to get a little excited before when I was talking, when we started to talk about building, didn't we? Because there's something in us, there's this innate part of us that we are designed to build. We're, we, we're, we're made in God's image and God is a builder. In fact, it's, it's mentioned in Scripture that Paul says he's the master builder. That he doesn't just do, he builds. And so if we're created in the image of God and God's a builder, then we are also builders. There's something in us. That's why parents, you don't settle to just have kids. You want to raise kids because you're a builder. That's, that's, what, we, that's what we do. That's, so when we talk about, about building, it's, it's exciting because listen, I, I want to build. I want to build. I'm speaking, of course, metaphorically, but... But, but I, I, I want to build. I don't want to just have church. I want to build a church. I want to build. I want to I I I build people. I want to I see people. I'm not just satisfied. Yes, I celebrate when people get saved. It's the greatest miracle we can see. But I want to Build disciples. I wanna, I wanna build. I wanna, it's, it's, it's just in us. I cannot help myself. I wanna build. I wanna see people transformed by the power of God. And then I wanna see them set free and break generational lines and generational curses. So the very things that they struggled with, their kids won't struggle with. So that where we finish, our kids will start. I wanna build. I wanna, I want, I want the church to be a church that builds. I don't I don't have time. God knows I don't have the time or the energy to just have church. I want to build something. I don't want us as a church to just have kids ministry. I want to build something into the life of our young people from a young age. That little Johnny at three years old, that something would be imparted into that little boy's heart that he would never forget. That while they might be little Sunday school songs, that that boy one day when the enemy's coming at him, when and he's in his 30s and 40s, he will still have a song in his heart that says, my God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There is nothing I wanna build. 
I want to build. I want, I want a youth ministry where it's not just teenagers that are just coming together to just pick each other up and just hang out and check out who's hot and just be crazy. I want a ministry of teenagers that come together that are fired up for God. I want something in the heart of our teenagers where we tap into that almost like where the enemy causes a rebellious spirit. I want to take that same spirit and I want to channel it into the things of God so that we would raise up teenagers that would ask, why can't we do something radical for God? Why can't we see our school turned around? Why can't we dream bigger? Why can't we believe bigger? I want to build. I want to build. That's what I want to do. I don't want to preach sermons that just entertain you and give you a catchy phrase that might rhyme but carries no power or authority. I don't just want you to tweet it. I want you to live it. I want to build. I want to start today and I want to go line upon line, precept upon precept so that next week we pick up where we left off. I want to build something into us as people that will allow us to stand the test of time. I want to build. I can't help it. I cannot shake it. It'll keep me up at night. It'll keep me thinking so crazy. I just cannot stop. I want to build. When we started a preschool just recently and I praise God for it, but it's just the beginning. I want to build. I can see it. I can see one preschool, two preschool, three. I can see 10, 20 preschools scattered all around Orange County that are teaching young kids from as little as they can walk what it is to trust God that God's always going to meet their needs. I want to build. I want to build into them. I want to build into them something that's so powerful and that's so great that unsaved families start sending their young kids to Christian preschools and that the kids get touched by the power of God and they carry that same presence into their home. I want to build. I want to build, I want to build, I want to, everywhere I go, I look at land and I see properties and I see buildings and, and I see campuses and I see outreach programs and I see preschools. I want to build, I don't just see preschools, I see high school. Why can't we? Why can't we start high schools? God knows in this day and age, we need spirit-filled high schools that are raising up teenagers. God knows that. Why can't we start university? I want to build. I want to build. We want to, we want to build. You want to build. That's why you're excited right now. Because what I'm doing is I'm tapping into the spirit that is already in you. You want to build. We want to build. And this is what is happening in this story. I'm setting us up. I'm setting, it's a, it's a, it's a little introduction, if you like. They were builders and they built. And we get excited, we love to build, but it didn't just happen. These walls were not rebuilt randomly. They were rebuilt under the strategic anointed leadership of a man of God. Enter Nehemiah. This is a little introduction because as I was preparing and praying and, and, and getting excited, I could, I could do 30 minutes on what I want to build. I could. I could. I'm holding back, but I, I could listen. I could preach about what I want to build until you fall asleep on the floor. But as I started to... I, start, I was praying and I started just 
in my spirit just, just going over what I want to build, I felt the Holy Spirit almost like pull me back and say, hold up, hold up. And I was like, you know, no. <laughs> you know, like you tell God no, you know. I'm like, no, we're going to build, we're going to do it. And he said, no, 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 just. And I felt the Holy Spirit just keep so pulling me back. I wanted to preach, and, and we'll get into it next week, about what Nehemiah built and, and how he had to battle and build at the same time because anything that you're going to build that's going to be significant, we're going to have to know how to battle and build at the same time. Sometimes the battle is the greatest sign that you're building something great and that we need to be not discouraged by the battle but encouraged by the battle and the battle can fuel what it is that you build and that'll frustrate the hell out of your enemy because the worse he comes at you, the better you build. That's next week. <laughs> but that's what I wanted to, wanted to do and then, and then the Lord kept saying, Nehemiah. And I said, I know, he's the builder. And I went back to the start of the story and, and I started to read. I fed, read the first two chapters of Nehemiah. And then I saw something here that I think is really important for us. And, and if you want a little sermon title, um, I want to give you this if you want to write it down. I'm just going to preach today or introduce us to this story with this little quick sermonette that is called Becoming, Becoming a Builder. Becoming a Builder. Because before Nehemiah built, he had to become. Before we start to build, We've got to first become who it is that God wants us to be in order to do what God wants us to do. And this is where this incredibly exciting sermon takes a really depressing dive. Because we just went from getting excited about building and doing because that's the stuff that our culture gets excited about. We celebrate what people do, not so much who they are. But it's who I am that determines what I will build. It's two chapters at the start of Nehemiah and it's almost boring. Half of chapter one is a prayer. I don't want to read about some guy crying and praying. I want to tell Nehemiah to suck it up and go get the job done. But there's something about this that teaches me that Nehemiah allowed the Holy Spirit to do a work in him so that he could become the builder that God has called him to be. It's becoming builders. And I've got to be honest with you. I don't want to become. I don't. Because I've learnt something in 
17 years now of doing ministry and there's a lot I still haven't learned, but there's some stuff that I have learned. I've learned that the becoming is where the real battle is. It's not, it's not. And we'll read about the battles on the wall and the fact that they had to build and battle at the same time. But I've found, I've found, and maybe there's, there's people in this room, I dare say many of you, that are older than me that can probably attest to what I'm saying as to be true. It's, it's the battles in the becoming that are the hardest ones because they're the ones that don't deal with what I do. They're the ones that deal and mould and shape who I am. And sometimes for the Lord to mould and shape who I am, it hurts. It hurts. Sometimes, bro, it'll hurt like hell. It's a part of the becoming, but I don't want to become. Hear me, I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling. There's those, I feel like where Paul said in Romans, that the good that I want to do, remember these verses? We love these verses because it justifies how we all feel, right? He says, he says the good that I want to do, I'm not doing. But the stuff that I, I don't want to do, that's the stuff I'm doing, I feel like that a little bit. I feel like there's a part of me, man, that I desperately, desperately, I wanna build. I wanna do something great. I wanna advance God's kingdom, but I don't wanna become because the becoming, that's where the real battle is. But then there is that spirit in me. And it might be just small, but there is that part of me that at the end of the day says, God, do whatever you wanna do. Well, my flesh does not want to grow as a person. My flesh, not yours. You're, you're doing much better and I'm proud of you. But not me. My flesh is done, bro. I'm done. But my spirit says, keep chipping what you got to chip away. Keep breaking what needs to be broken. Break me. Mold me, shape me, get all of the crap out of me because God, I know that what I am called to do, I cannot do the way I am right now. I have to. I have to. You have to become. But I don't want to become. That's the wrestle that we have, isn't it? That's where our salvation and true salvation, which is absolute surrender, is so imperative to us being everything that God has called us to be because surrender says, God, I am done. Do what it is that you wanna do, no matter the pain that it may cause me or how hard it might be. But there is, we are battling this, this, this culture that wants to push you prematurely into what God has called you to do before your character is ready to handle it. And then we fall and we fail and we ask God why. And God's answer is it was never your time anyway. 
because you are still becoming. So it comes down to do we trust his timing? Do I trust the work that he's doing? Not above the surface. The above the surface stuff, that's, that's cool. That's great. That's awesome. That's celebrate, tweet it, put a filter, make it look great. Tell your friends you'll get lots of likes. That's awesome. I'm not talking about above the surface. That's the building. I'm talking about the becoming that happens beneath the surface. Because the, the, the battles, the strength required to win the battles on the surface is developed beneath the surface in the dark. I think if we sat down with David, I thought if we sat down with David and asked him, I want to ask him about going up against Goliath, you know. I want to know that this teenager, I want to know, bro, what was going through your thick head? That, that you would, what was it? Was it just, what happened? Like you just ran out there. How did you, tell me about it. Were you aiming for the forehead or you were just swinging haymakers? Like what are we talking about here, bro? Like how did you take this dude out? How did you, I want to ask David, how did you beat Goliath? I know the story, but tell me, tell me how you, tell me what happened. I feel like if we had that conversation with David, I think that dude would look back at us and smile and say, I didn't win that battle on a battlefield. I think this is what he would say. I think he would say, I never won on a battlefield. That was the victory that everybody saw. But I beat, I beat Goliath in a field when nobody was there. That's, that's, it was in the field. It was in the field where I developed the faith to win the victory on the battlefield. That's why David was so confident when Saul came to him and he's like, bro, what are you doing? Like, are we gonna, remember he said, God will do this because in David's mind, this joker was already laid out because he had the faith for it and the faith was developed while David was becoming, becoming. It's the faith to endure the season when we're frustrated because within us, we wanna build and we're ready to build and we know how to do it and we just wanna go and we just wanna run and we're ready to, but we're frustrated because we feel like right now, oh, oh we feel called to grow and be something great. We feel like we're buried in the dirt. And the dirt can be one of the most discouraging places because it's dark. There's no fruit. It's just dirt. But there's no fruit comes from a seed that isn't planted in dirt. And the darker it is, 
the deeper you are. And the deeper you are, the bigger you grow. I took my kids recently, a couple months back, and we, we endeavoured, began this little endeavour to try and grow um, vegetables at home. And so I showed Leo, my daughter, she's three, and we looked at photos of big red tomatoes on, you know, the internet. I said to him, this is what we're going to do. So we got in the car and, and we went down the store and we picked out the little, you know, the seedling things and got the, the pots and all that stuff. Not pot, like pots. Yeah. Just got to make, okay, forget it. Stop it, it's Sunday, listen. And so we went home and we got the, we got the dirt and, and we put the bags of dirt, you know, in the bowls and, and, and laid them out and we got the little plants and seedling, put them in and it was cool. And then we put a little bit of water on them and we stood back and I said, see, isn't that good? And then Leo, I'd never seen a three-year-old look so devastated in all of my life. And she looks at me and she's like, where's the, she talks like me, she said, where's the tomatoes? I said, they're, they're in there. She said, but there's just dirt. I said, no, but remember we put the seed in the dirt and, and then we, we put the, 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 the tomato. Have you ever tried to explain the process of growth to a three-year-old? It's very difficult. The tomato comes out of the seed. She said, but how does it fit in the seed? I'm like, oh, I did, Jesus. I, uh... And then you get to that point where you just say, Leo, baby. I don't know. I, I just don't. Or do you ever get in these conversations with your kids where you literally just make up things and the sentence actually doesn't make any sense, but you're just trying to tell them something? Well, what happens to seed with the dirt and then the tomato and then, and it will. You know, it's all about your tone. If you make it excitable, they'll go with you, you know. But she's standing there and she's so discouraged. And then she was out. Like she was like, no, if I'm not getting the tomatoes, I'm out. Next thing I turned, this little moment that I thought was going to be such a great bonding time, ended up with her taking off and watching Peppa Pig. <laughs> I'm standing there looking at the dirt thinking, why does she get it? And of course we understand because she's so young, she doesn't get it. Sometimes I feel like that's how God looks at us as Christians in our immaturity that we're about to abort what God has called us to do just because we're discouraged in the dirt. When ultimately it comes down to do I trust Him with the becoming process? Because there was things, and this is an introduction, but I'm not going to preach over you know my a lot of time. But we'll keep we're going to keep going with this. But my my heart for today was to set it up for you 
Because every one of you, like I said, we are all called to build. And you are a part of a church that will build. We will build. But I don't want to have a church that we have to build for. I want a church that we can build with. In the next three weeks, we are entering into our, what we're calling our exchange series, if you like, or our, that will build up to our miracle offering come December the 4th, I believe, in, or the 5th, December 5th in four weeks' time. In four weeks' time, we're going to give every person here an opportunity to come forward. We're going to do old school. We're going to have buckets and going to give you an opportunity to sow a seed into what we will build. So you might think, well, what, what are we going to build? Well, let me tell you. As we've been praying of, of, and I don't even think you need to be in prayer to see it, but I think there is an all-out assault from the enemy on our young people. I believe that it is strategic. And if you know me, I'm not a doom and gloom. I'm not, I'd rather lift up the name of Jesus and we'll always do that. But the word also says, do not be ignorant to the enemy's plan and devices. I believe that there is an all out assault on our young people. This is our next generation. One of the verses that jumped out at me as I was reading this story is Nehemiah 4 and verse 14. And Nehemiah said to the men, he said, fight for your brethren, for your sons and daughters. We have a culture right now that is um, unafraid to teach children as young as three and four that it's okay to have a conversation in regard to gender fluidity and what you feel like you identify with. You don't have to be a psychologist to understand how detrimental that is to a young person. We have schools where our children are being indoctrinated with an anti-God agenda. This is an assignment against the next generation. Our colleges in California, our universities have become all out battlefields where the far left agenda, if you don't agree with it, you are branded a bigot and hateful. This is the reality. This is not, I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about kingdom. So don't come and email me about politics. They won't even let me vote. So keep your emails. I'm talking about kingdom. There is an amazing story in 2 Kings where there was a man, a young man, 
called Josiah. Josiah was responsible for one of the greatest reformations in, in, in the Bible in ancient times. I mean, Josiah got some work done. Josiah pulled down idols. He reestablished worship. He straight took out people that were idolaters, that, were, that would blaspheme the Lord. I mean, Josiah did not mess around. But one of the most devastating verses in the Bible is found in 2 Kings, I wanna say 22 and some around verse three or something. We're right at the end of everything that Josiah did. It says this verse. It says, there was no king rose up after Josiah that did what he did. And I've looked at that before and I've thought, man, isn't that awesome for Josiah? But then one day I looked at it and I thought that is devastating that what Josiah did was not transferred to the next generation. And I wanna challenge us as a campus. What are we going to do? I can tell you what you can do. You can tweet about it. You can argue about it. You can attack people about it, forgetting that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. This is a principality and a power. And if you cannot identify that, then get your head out of the bucket because it's very clear. It's very clear. The next generation is under attack. And I wanna ask us as the fathers, as the mothers, as the grandparents, what will we do? Are we, are we happy to just complain? Are we happy to just get upset and frustrated? Or will we do what Nehemiah did? They had been under attack and Nehemiah's response to the attack was that I am going to build. I'm gonna build. And you attack me all you want, but I'm gonna keep building and I'm gonna build something that's so great and that's so powerful and that's so influential that the enemy will not be able to deny the hand of God upon this. So when we give on December the 5th, what are you giving to? You need to know that. Let me tell you what you're giving to. You are gonna sow a seed to empower the next generation. And it looks like this, our preschool that we have started already, the foundation, metaphorically speaking, the foundation is set. These teachers are amazing. Our director is amazing. They are praying, kids are in there, kids are loving it, but that is just the beginning. Like I said at the start, I wanna build. I don't see one preschool. I see 10, 20 preschools. Scattered out. You know what I like about preschools? In the spirit, it's got we're going undercover. You know what I mean? 
Don't tell the devil. Let's keep it just between us. But we're going to snake in. We're going to snake this joker right in there. And we're going to plant these little preschools that on the surface, they're just going to look like it's just another preschool. But they're not going to understand the prayer that has gone into that preschool and the power of God and the presence of God and the prayed up teachers and the curriculum that's founded and grounded in God's Word that we're gonna start sowing little seeds into young people all over Orange County and we're gonna begin to build something. That's how we're gonna do it. But you know what? I need you to pay for it. And I'm not ashamed to ask because it's not my vision, it's God's. It's gonna be a preschool. We're gonna do some stuff in Kid Pack. We're about to announce a new Kid Pack pastor. You're gonna hear about that soon. We're gonna do some stuff. We're gonna refurbish a couple little things back there because I'm sick of watching the world entertain kids better and do things better than the church. Why should we be second rate to Disneyland? I can take the Gospel and Disney put it all together and see kids get saved and love it and come into the church and wanna go up there. Why can't we do it? Preschool, kids, teenagers. Teenagers, teenagers in the Bible, when they got lit on fire for the power of God, did some of the greatest things in history. Teenagers, I've seen it. I was a youth pastor for 10 years. I've seen it. I know what it is to see a 13 year old so stirred up with the presence of power of God that no principal, no teacher, no doctrine can stop them. Teenagers. And the fourth piece, is our college, Free Chapel College. Young people saying that I'm gonna dedicate at least one year of my life to learn the Word of God. Whether I go into ministry or not, I'm gonna dedicate a year of my life to study and unpack the Word of God to set me up for my future so that I can build not just a business for the sake of a business, but so I can build something that will, that will establish the Kingdom of God. Amen. Young adults coming together, listen, they are under attack. I wanna resource them, I wanna train them. I want them coming, I can see them coming. I can see them coming from all over the nation. I can see them flying into Orange County because they just gotta get here. You know what I need? I need housing, I need dormitories. I need one of you jokers to write me a cheque to buy a rundown Motel 6 and let's transform that whole thing and renovate it and stick a hundred college students in it and see God do something great. What will we do? I am sick to death. I've seen Christians complain, bicker, whine, tweet, post, but do nothing when it comes to really the rubber hitting the road. It's time for us to step up and say, we are gonna build something that is gonna impact the next generation. Come hell or high water, we will see a revival. We will take this city for the Kingdom of God and His Kingdom will be established. I want you to give Him praise. Like you know, I'm called to build something. I'm gonna build.
I'm going to shut my mouth and I'm going to build. I'm going to build something that the enemy cannot stop. I'm going to build something that will stand. I'm going to build something that will hold. I'm going to build something that is secure, steadfast and true. Build. 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 And when you got done building, you build more. And when you got done building that, you build more. And then you ask God, what's next? But you will never build significantly until we become. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. To watch our latest message, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Free Chapel OC.